Welcome again to Door Creek Church. So I want to just take a quick break before we jump into the final message of our study in the book of John. And what I want to do is something that we typically do. So if you're new to Door Creek, just forgive me. This is a, just kind of a little family talk. And it's an update that we give with three months left in our ministry year as we move into the summer months. And so as you, as you just think back over the last 15, 16 months, it, it's been a wild ride. And one of the things we've been committed to is just to think about this question. What does COVID make possible? And what we realized, COVID made all kinds of new things possible as we were literally forced to move everything that we've ever done up until March of 2020 online. From not just the services to what we did with kids, to what we did with students, from our groups, to our classes, and everything in between. And God has proven so faithful, big surprise once again, opening up all kinds of doors, and it's been exciting. Whether it's been seeing new people become devoted followers of Christ, over 30 in the last few months give their lives in faith to Christ. We just celebrate that. We are so excited about the new partnerships we have in the city to fill the van. We're excited for some of you who've been joining us. You've never actually been here to a physical campus, but you've been joining us online. And that's exciting, whether you live here in Dane County, across the state, around the country, or you know wherever you are. It's so awesome. And we have been humbled and honored that God has opened doors so that we are worshiping together with a group of women at Teixeira Correctional, a group of men at Dodge, and also recently at Jackson. And so, man, it, it is so cool to think that we're, we're worshiping Jesus, learning from his word together, and God has just been amazing. So here's the skinny on where we at financially here as we have three months left. So we've had nine months of ministry, and what I can tell you is we've paid for eight of it. So that means we're one month short. So in the next three months, we need four months. So when we just think about the budgeted income, we're a month behind, all right? And so that's our challenge. Our challenge is that we could meet that challenge and be all square with our budgeted income. So I just want to remind us why we give. Because sometimes we forget that. And maybe for some of us, during COVID, we've fallen out of the habit of giving. So why do we give? Well, number one, it's in recognition that everything we have belongs to God. That we're just managers of all that he's given us, including our wealth. We also give because the part that we give represents the whole God, we love you. This part represents that you have all of me. I want to love you. And so it grows my love for God. It displays my love for God. And it grows me as a follower of Jesus. There is like very few things that grow us in the faith like giving. Because I got to trust him, right? To take care of my needs when I give the first and best as Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 talk about. When I give though, there's something super protective that we got to catch up with. And that is, it protects us from greed and the love of money. And the Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So it protects us. And then the cool thing is, the little that we give, whatever that amount is, God uses that to make eternal difference in people's lives. So 
That's the challenge. And what I want you to do is, guys, pray about that. Don't just say, well, I can or I can't. Just ask God, what's my part in this, right? And then make a plan. Make a plan. For some of us, it's actually like engaging in this for the first time. Here's what we'd like to see is all of us participate. When I did the math on the back of a napkin, it would be like if all of us gave 10 bucks a day between June and August, we're good. For some of us, it's like, I can't do 10. And for others of us, we can do, well, I can do multiples of 10. But our goal is that we'd all participate. Because here's what we believe. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And we want to tell people about Jesus. We want them to find life in Christ. And so, man, pray about it. Make a plan and then just trust God. Take a step of faith. Trust God to take care of your needs. Trust God to use little or much that you give to make a huge difference in somebody else's life. Thanks. So let's talk about fishing. I'd like to think I'm a really good fisherman. I'm not. I just like fishing. I've been fishing for a long time. I remember fishing in Lac de Flambeau when I was a wee little guy. I remember fishing in Door County. Here's a picture of my family in Door County. Get this. This is Memorial Day, 1969. 1969. So I'm 11 years old, and I love to fish the piers in Door County. I've got a great memory of fishing late at night, catching a stringer full of bass. Didn't have time to clean them, and I just stuck them in a bucket of water. They're still all on the stringer. My mom tells me the next morning, I got bad news for you. In the middle of the night, I heard some raccoons out around the campsite and they walked off with your stringer full of fish. I could hear them dragging the stringer down the road. Oh man, that was great. I remember fishing with my Uncle Charlie in Switzerland. I remember buying that fishing pole. I still have it, that fishing pole. But listen, no memory of fishing can compare to fishing with this guy, Henry. Oh, my word. My little grandson, Henry, he loves to fish. We got a pond across the street from us, and he and I have been fishing. And when I say, Henry, you want to you go fish? He'll say something like, yeah, let's do it, Grandpa. Well, listen, I got something even better than a picture. Check out this video of Henry catching uh, a sunny last summer. Henry, that oh, that's a big one. Oh, yes, he is, Claire. Are you happy? It is. Whoa, hang on. Keep going. That looks like a really big one. It is. Come on, let's do it. Oh, it's flashing. It's important. It's sunny. It is. Come on, sunny. Okay. Oh, okay, what a body. Show Bridget your fish. <gasps> Hold it up. That's a nice sunny. Whoa, what's his name? He is sunny. So why am I talking to you about fishing memories? Because I guarantee you, when we meet Peter in heaven and say, Pete, you were a fisherman all your life. What's your greatest fishing memory? He's going to say, John 21. John 21. The day me and my buddies caught 153 fish. Grab your Bibles. Let's check out this fishing story. So the title of this message is, When You'd Rather Fish, Follow Jesus. Because that's where we find Peter He'd rather fish. So as you're turning to John chapter 21, let me remind you that we're not skipping chapters 18, 19, and 20. We covered those over the Passion Week, Good Friday and Easter. So if you missed those, 
go back and you can catch up with that. So the context is, uh, Peter's denied knowing Jesus after his bold proclamation, his boast, if you will. Listen, even if all the other disciples fall away from you, Lord, I, I'll go to my death following you. So he's denied Jesus three times. Jesus was crucified. Jesus rose from the dead. Peter saw him once on Easter Sunday night and again a week later. And this is the third appearance. And he'd rather go fishing than follow Jesus right now. That, that's what's going on here. So look at verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way, John says. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing, nada, zero. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. All right, we want to talk about the power of failure. Now, for a lot of us, I don't, we, I don't need to tell you about the power of failure because we know, man, the power of failure, is gonna, we can lose our way in so many different ways. The power of failure. For some of us, we haven't yet recovered for some of us, we still have that limp, if you will. For some of us, we're still trying to just drown it out, block it out, not think about it. The power of failure, Peter's failure. This strong fisherman, this man of action, who had these bold professions of faith. You are the Christ, the son of the living God, he says. And then he has these profound failures. He failed when he was walking on the water. And he got gripped by fear looking at the waves, lost his focus and his faith in Jesus. He was a failure when he rebuked Jesus who was telling the disciples, look, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be mistreated and they're going to kill me. And Jesus takes, Peter takes the Messiah and says, Jesus, what are you talking about? You're the Messiah. You're the son of God. That can't happen to you. And Jesus says to Pete, Satan, get behind me. Huge failure. There was a failure when he lopped off Malchus's ear when Jesus was being arrested and going to the cross. There was a failure three times in the shadow of the high priest's courtyard as he was around the fire and different people said, you were with Jesus, you're one of his disciples, right? And he kept saying, no, 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 calling down curses. I don't know him. Only to hear the rooster crow. And he wept bitterly as he went out, realizing he had just proudly proclaimed his allegiance to Jesus and he couldn't even acknowledge that he knew him. And so this is the context. Peter is overwhelmed with this triple dose of guilt. Three times the opportunity to stand with and for Christ. But he couldn't do it. And so he's out fishing. And we're not told why. But I think we know why. It's what he used to do. And maybe his feelings of guilt left him with this understanding that, you know what? 
I'm a flunky, I'm a failure, and I am useless in Jesus' mission. So I might as well go back to what I know. I know fishing. I might as well go back to who I was. I was a fisherman. I I don't fish for men anymore. I'm not qualified to be his disciple because I have fallen away. I have not expressed my love and affection and devotion to Jesus Christ. And so he's going back to what he knew. He's going back to who he was. He's overwhelmed with guilt. And there's many of us right now who know exactly what that feels like. The feelings of guilt loudly tell us that we haven't amounted to much. We never will. We are useless. And for some of us, it's been in our failure of devotion to Christ, our failure to live a life that is honoring to Christ. The ethics and the morals of our life haven't measured up to the life of Jesus, to his standards. Whether it's in the area of money or sex or pride or truthfulness, lying or our ability to extend mercy and forgive someone, we know we've fallen short. Failure of leadership over ourselves, over those that he's placed in our care, whether it's been your spouse, your family, or a team at work. Or maybe like Peter, a failure of nerve to identify with Jesus. And that's been going on at school. And it's just so hard to identify with Christ. Maybe it's not just at school. Maybe it's at the workplace, in the neighborhood with your extended family. The power of failure is real. It can cause us to lose our way, to lose our nerve, to actually paralyze us and to take us out of a relationship with Christ that is founded on his mercy, grace, and love and disconnect us from his mission that he calls us into. And by the way, this wasn't a deal just for Peter. For the most part, they'd all fallen away. When Jesus was arrested, they all dispersed, save John who went to the trial and then on to the cross. So anyone gone fishing... Let your guilt, let your failure drive you to Jesus because the power of failure is no match for the power of God's grace extended to us through Christ because Jesus replaces failure with fruitfulness. That's what we see in verse six. So having just said, have you you got any fish? And they answered, no. He said in verse six, throw your net on the right side of the boat, not the left, not the bow, not the stern, on the right side, and you will find some. Find what? Fish. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. These are strong men, seven of them. They couldn't haul it in. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be the author here, John, said to Peter, it's the Lord, it's Jesus. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped in the water, just like Pete. First one in, man of action. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. 
So let's just catch up with who Jesus is. Because one of the things that John's doing here is he's saying, this is the resurrected Jesus. This is the guy who was crucified, spent three days in a tomb, and then rose from the dead. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. He's showing us again this last miracle. And the miracle isn't just in the 153. The miracle is also that they were out all night, these pro fishermen who know how to fish, and they were, so he prevented not even a guppy, if you will, to get into a guppy or a goby, right? To get into their nets. Mm -mm, nothing. No, he is the divine son of God. And this miracle had to remind Peter and the others of how it all began with Jesus. Because you go back to Luke chapter 5 and you find out that on that day, they'd been fishing all night and they didn't catch anything that day. They meet Jesus. Jesus says, can I borrow your boat? And he teaches the masses. And after he's done teaching, he says to Pete and the others, all right, thanks for lending me your boat. I'm going to just make it good for you. So go out in the deep, throw in your net, and they got such a great catch of fish that they required a couple of boats to drag it in. So this is like one of those doo -doo 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 -doo, like we've been here before deja vu. And they're going, oh my word, it's happening again. And Peter didn't know who it was, but all of a sudden John goes, it has to be Jesus. Of course, it's the Lord. He jumps into the boat. You know, Jesus, the divine fish finder, if you will. And now Peter's out of the boat, just like he was when he's walking on the water. This time he's in the 100-yard, you know, freestyle, booking it to shore, and there's Jesus. He's got the fire going. He's got some fish and some bread, and he says, Pete, go, go get some of the fish you brought in. And they bring in 153. So you read the commentators on this. You go back over church history and you have some wild stuff going on. And what is the significance of 153? Because numbers in the Bible often have a lot of meaning and significance. So that's not a, a crazy thing to do. So some would say, well, 153. At that time, in the known world, there are 153 known species of fish. So it was symbolic of all the fish that he just brought in for them. Others would say, no, actually it's a triangular. You add one plus two plus three, go all the way to plus 17, and you add all those numbers together, and it equals 153. The problem is, not everybody's sure what 17 symbolizes. Or it just could have been they went, whoa, dog, that is like the biggest catch of fish we've ever gotten. We know what our record is. Our last record was 137. Let's count these fish to find out how many we got this time. And so 153 represents 153 fish. Well, I get it. I like to measure my fish. I don't get into big counts like that, but I remember being back in Canada, first time I ever have been, and only time I've ever been fishing in Canada, and I hooked into this northern, and I pulled it up, and you're like, there's a bunch of guys, a couple of boats, and we're having this contest. Who's gonna get the biggest fish? And I, I wanted to have the biggest fish. So I said, put a tape on that. I can tell you that fish was 44 inches. I know it looks like 64, but they told me the trick is just hold it out. And you guys are laughing because you do the same thing. So actually it's 12. No, it's, it's really 44 inches. So I get it. They, they wanted to measure the catch. Or perhaps more likely what's going on here is this is, this is, this is an enacted parable, if you will. 
of a group of men who uh, fail during the night of fishing, of disciples who'd fail in their love and devotion to Christ. And it's a picture, if you will, an enacted parable of how, how Jesus could transform fruitlessness, failure, with bounty and plenty and fruitfulness and success, if you will, an enacted parable. So Jesus replaces failure with fruitfulness and he serves them. Verses 12 to 14, if you, if you read verses 12 to 14, you see he invites them in to a meal. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So he, he serves them. The resurrected Christ is still serving him, literally serving him a meal. But in this meal, as would be known in their culture, just extending friendship. Just like Peter, uh, Jesus extending the bread dipped right into the bowl to Judas. Extending friendship, forgiveness. That's what he's doing. He's serving them. He's extending mercy and forgiveness. Jesus turns failure into fruitfulness. And you've got to believe that when they saw the, the bread and the fish, they were thinking of the feeding of the 5,000 miracle. You gotta believe when he broke the bread, they were remembering Jesus saying, this is my body broken for you the night in which he was betrayed right before he was arrested. Jesus serves those who have failed him. What an what a awesome Jesus we have. So what happens next is, is we, we understand how it is that Jesus' powerful grace and mercy is greater and transcends the power of failure, right? And we're gonna see what it looks like for Jesus to transform failure into fruitfulness. So look at verse 15, and we pick up this kind of close conversation that I believe would have been in the hearing of the other disciples. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I believe he's talking about these disciples, not the fish in the boats. Because remember he said, I love you more than those guys. Because I'll go to the death even if those guys fall away. Do you really love me more than these? He's reminding him what he said. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs, the little ones. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep, shepherd them, protect them. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So let's just walk through this because this is powerful. What happens to, G to Peter, what happened to Peter is what can happen to us. Because Jesus' transforming grace is available to each one. So how does he transform failure? The first thing we say is he gives Peter and he gives us a second chance. A do-over, if you will. It's not insignificant that he asked the question three times. Because how many times did he deny him? He denied him three times. He denied that he even knew him. So he's giving him a do-over. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to affirm your love for me right now. 
in front of all the other disciples who you claim to be superior to, do it. And he did. Do you love me? And notice he didn't say, do you love my sheep? He said, do you love me? That's the starting point of transforming failure. Not only did he say, I'm going to give you a do-over. He, he extended mercy and grace so that as even he humbled himself, he lifted him back into right relationship. Because the guilt was making Peter think that he didn't deserve to, to, to be a follower of Jesus, to be connected. That's why he's gone back to the nets. And he's saying, no, I'm restoring you back to myself. Yes, you've been humbled here as I've brought those questions back again. But I'm humbling you so I could exalt you and lift you up. Because I'm not just giving you a second chance. I'm restoring you to myself back into relationship. And I am recommissioning you back into service for me. Because you have use for me, Peter. Oh man, I need you. I want you. I've called you to make a difference in this world for me. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Take care of them. And so it's beautiful to see how Jesus does that. He gives them a second chance. He restores them into relationship. He recommissions him, right, into service. And then he prepares him for the future. Look at verse 18. Verse 18, we read, Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who, is going, uh, who said, Lord, who is going to betray you? Speaking of John, the author here. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? What about John? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. So he prepared him for the future. Now, this was a scary thing. He, he gives this prophecy, and it's kind of wrapped in this riddle or this parable. When you were young, you were free. You could choose what you wore and where you would go. But when you're going to be older, you're going to stretch out your hand. Guys, that would be code word for you're going to be crucified. You're going to stretch out your arms. You're going to be crucified. They're going to take you to a place you don't want to go. The cross. By the way, church history, we don't know for sure, but the history is that Peter was crucified, but because he wasn't feeling like he should be crucified in the same manner as Jesus, he was crucified upside down. We don't know if it's true. But the, the truth is that we know that he was martyred for his faith according to church history. So he prepared him for the future. And in saying that, we just got to catch up with that actually wasn't just shocking news and scary news, but it actually was good news. Because what he told them is, Peter, you're going to do 
what you said you were going to do. Though everybody fall away, I'll go to the death for you. You are going to be faithful to me and bring honor and glory to me even as you suffer and die on a cross for me. Arms outstretched. This is so great. What is Jesus doing? He dealt with his past, right? All of his guilt, his failure. And he's dealt with that, right? He's extended mercy and forgiveness. He's dealing with his present where he's been completely disconnected from the mission and he's recommissioned him, right? And now he's dealing with the future and he's talking to him about the future. That's who Christ is. He deals with our past, our present, and our future. Do you know that about Jesus? So he gives him a second chance. He re he reconnects with him, right? Reconciles with him, recommissions him. He prepares him for the future. And the last thing he does is he helps him keep focus because that's a problem for Pete. He probably had a little bit of ADD, right? He had it walking on the water. Whoa, what's going on here? And he's losing focus. He, he's losing focus here. What about John? Hey, 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 hey. What about John? So obviously at this point in the conversation, they're taking a walk. And he realizes that John is kind of just listening you know, a couple yards back. And he says, well, well, what about John? He says, don't worry about John. You got your own race to run. You follow me. You keep on following me. That's literally what it means. Present active imperative. Keep on following me. Here's the focus. Here's the focus. Keep following. Keep following me. And so John ends the gospel in verses 23 through 25 by saying so there is this rumor that came out that I wasn't going to die that's not what Jesus said he said and by the way I'm the one who bears testimony I'm the eyewitness to everything that I'm written here I am that disciple and let me tell you that um, I, I haven't given you everything verse 25 says that even if the world was a library if the world was a building that was called a library, that this earth isn't big enough to contain the volumes that could be written about all of who Jesus is and what he's done. He's not just exaggerating and using hyperbole. I believe he believed that. That as the eternal son of God, he gave a few, the writers will tell us that he gave us about 21 days of Jesus' life. That he's saying, if you just recorded everything that's ever happened in his eternal existence that doesn't have a beginning, hello, and won't have an end, that this world wouldn't be a library big enough to contain all the great stories of who Jesus is. So let's bring it home. And let's just let the driving question that Jesus asked Peter to be the driving question that we reflect on. Jesus is asking us in this text, John was asking his hearers many years later, do you love Jesus? Or have, any, or have you fallen out of love? Do you love Jesus? Have you ever loved Jesus? That's why he's written this gospel that we would know that Jesus is the Son of God who gave up his life for us and that in placing our trust in him, we would have life eternal today and forever, that we'd be brought into a relationship, a relationship of love, love received and love reciprocated by his grace. We love because he first loved us, John says. Do you love Jesus? Place your trust, place your heart affections in Christ. 
If your love isn't connected to Jesus, I can tell you the object of your affection will only disappoint you. Love for Jesus, his love for us, transforms who we are, why we're here, how we deal with the past, how we face the future. Do you love Jesus? Don't, don't go another day. Don't go another day without wrestling with the question, do I love the one who loved me first? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then the final question is, have you hung a sign, so to speak, symbolically, and you've gone fishing? Because you've been knocked out of the game. You've been wallowing in your failure and guilt and you've been believing the lie that you are a failure, that you're of no use to God and you've disqualified yourself. There is no way he would welcome you back. There is no way he would take you back. There is no way he would use you again. Are you there in that place? Oh, by God's grace, let Jesus transform your failure into something powerful. How does that happen? We receive his grace. The one who knows. Let me just tell you this. When Peter said the third time, Jesus, you know all things. What does he know about Peter? The same thing he knows about you and me. That we're weak. That we failed. And that we love him. He knows that about you. So receive his grace. Affirm your love for him. Tell him that right now. And live a life that demonstrates your love as you keep on following him. Taking him at his word. Getting out of the boat. Engage in service for him. Your job isn't just your job. Your studies isn't just your studies. It's about pointing other people to Jesus. That's our job. Of making much of Jesus. Of living our lives for Jesus. Of shining the spotlight on Jesus affirm your love follow him accept his invitation to come and have a shore breakfast and lunch and dinner and tomorrow the same and all through the day the rest of our lives keep serving others and persevere through the sufferings because you never know you never know what God is up to because the next time we find Peter in the scriptures, it's Acts chapter 2. The guy who cowered in the shadows of the courtyard around the campfire is in broad daylight preaching a sermon about Jesus Christ in front of the very religious leaders that grabbed Jesus and, and nailed him to a cross. The very religious leaders that had he and the other disciples hunkered down in the upper room. He's boldly proclaiming the good news of God's love through Jesus Christ. And God uses Peter, the coward who failed, to be the bold proclaimer of the gospel so that on that day, Acts 2 tells us, 3,000 people believed and were added to the church. That's Jesus' power. In a man's life who was a failure, convinced that his guilt left him useless, but he met Jesus on the shore, the greatest fishing story of his life. And you know what? Jesus, Jesus is cooking breakfast and he wants you to come. He wants to have a talk with you today. He wants to restore you today. He wants to use you again. 
He wants you to dream great dreams for his honor and glory because he can transform the failures into great fruitfulness. Let's pray. So Lord, we pray that you would do that. And we pray that you would rid us from the guilt and the burdens even as we confess our failures right now. Hear us as we confess our failures, those big things in our life. Maybe it was in a marriage, in a close relationship with your kids. Maybe it was a failure in just how you morally lived your life. Maybe it was a failure to stand for Christ when you've had opportunities. Maybe it's a failure in your ethics at work. You give him, you confess that right now and find his forgiveness. Lord, we do that. Remembering what John told us, that if we confess our sin, that you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So take it away. Use us, we pray. From now until the day you call us home or come to get us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.